I stay up last night? I didn't. I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I, I, uh, I'm kind of an old man. Um, but you know, there's, uh, it's, it's an interesting year. 2023, uh, as you notice, the foyer area is, is pretty new. Uh, new year and a new series. We are going to be again in Romans. So we're going to do a whole year of nothing but Romans this year at Mercy Hill, which I'm really excited about. Romans is one of those books that is, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there. In fact, when I was um, studying this week just to do chapter one, I say just, chapter one, verse one through seven is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. There is a lot there. There's a lot to unpack, and I don't think I have enough time this morning to really get into the huge depths of it. So uh, this is kind of what my goal is. Obviously, our goal is always to glorify the Lord, glorify Jesus, praise his holy name, proclaim his good word. But I am, I am going to kind of try to be like a, almost like a tour guide as we go through the first seven verses. Um, not long ago, my wife and her extended family, my extended family, I guess I should say, uh, went to the Ark Encounter. Anybody here been to the Ark Encounter? The Ark Encounter, there's a lot there, right? Uh, her, her mom was like, oh, we can see it all in one day. Well, you can, but there's not seeing everything in one day, right? And, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite things was the zoo, I got to hang out with some kangaroos. Unfortunately, some of, my fam- some of her family didn't get to see the kangaroos because they were hanging out in the gift shop. <laughs> and, you know, but, uh, so my goal this morning is not just to hang out with the kangaroos or hang out <laughs> at, at the gift shop, metaphorically, in, in, this, in this text, but to, to move down through there and to just kind of give us a nice overview. Now, the good thing is, Everything that's in these first seven verses are going to be talked about throughout the year in the, in the rest of Romans and probably in more depth. So I am excited about it. In some ways, I'm overwhelmed <laughs> as, as, we, as we look at this because it, it is, there's a lot there. Um, but uh, to start off with, I just want to kind of give us an overview of what's going on here. So this is a letter written from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Rome. Now, what's interesting about this letter is it's the only letter written to a church that he didn't start and he hadn't been there. So these are, these are people that he's never really maybe met. Maybe he's met a few people here and there, but uh, he's never actually been there before. So he is writing pretty much introducing himself and this is who I am. Um, knowing about Paul, Paul was a Pharisee at one time. His uh, other name that we know of is Saul. And uh, a lot of times we use that as his conversion, that he was Saul and then he turned into Paul. Uh, not really. It, 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 he had two names. He had a, a Greek name, which was Paul, and a Hebrew name, Saul. And it, they, they were used interchangeably at times. Um, we can see that. In, uh, especially in Acts 13, it, it kinda, he kind of goes being known as Saul and then turning it over to Paul when he started being an apostle to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. 
So uh, even though that it, it, it preaches nice when you go Saul to Paul, it, it really wasn't the conversion that changed his name. It was, it was him going to the Greeks that um, probably uh, use, using his, his uh, Greek name. Um, but Saul was a Pharisee. He was going to uh, be uh, very passionate. He had very much passion about persecuting the church. He was a Jewish and he was also, he also, by the way, held a um, Roman citizenship, so he had a dual citizenship, if you will, there. But <clears throat> he, um, he was very passionate, and he, he decided he was going to persecute the church. And so he was on a road to uh, the town of Damascus, and on that road, um, he met Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus. His life was changed, and history was changed because of that. Jesus reached out, and I love, I love calling it getting zapped. He got zapped by Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus changes the course of his, of his life for the better, for, for us as well, because it, Paul's life being changed has changed mine because I get to read his letters here in the New Testament, which is amazing. Amazing to think about it. 2,000 years ago, this guy writing letters to the church through the inspired word of Holy Spirit, changes our lives as we read it. And that's why there's so much bearing here. And so, uh, as we get into Romans here, that's just kind of a, um, you know, who Paul is, if you didn't know that. Um, if you did, it's just a good reminder of who Paul was and who he is. And so, with that, let's, let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And I'm just going to go ahead and read down through to verse 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray one more time. Father God, we thank you for your word. We do not want to ever take it lightly. We thank you that you have uh, given this to us and that we can take it at face value. We thank you that you are always, through your Holy Spirit, doing things. And uh, we, uh, we just ask that this does something to us this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so Paul, he starts off. You know, and he could start off in a lot of different ways. He could have started off almost as a resume. But what, how does he start off? He starts off a servant of Christ Jesus. And it's very important to realize that he has put his entire life into Jesus. Uh, some, some translations uh, would say a uh, bondservant <clears throat> or a slave, a slave of Christ Jesus. In that day and, and time, <clears throat> we, uh, 
we see slavery being part of, part of this culture. And so there was actual slaves that were slaves of Caesar that actually did official work for Caesar that answered only to Caesar. And so there was almost like a pride factor with, with, with being a slave to Caesar. I actually represent Caesar. And that, I believe this is, this is the spirit that Paul is talking about the, at this, is that I am a slave to Jesus Christ. I, I, my, everything about me is about Jesus. My, my life is hidden in him. My identity is in him. The other thing about being a slave is I was bought by him. Right? There, there's something, there was a price paid for me, for me to be a servant of him, a, a slave of him. And so I believe this is the spirit that he's talking about here. And once again, this culture, it would resonate with. It would resonate the fact that there's something going on here, that I am tied to Jesus, and that Jesus is now my king, my Lord, my God, my everything. And this is how he starts off. And so if you notice, there's three things, kind of three, three things he, he, he explains himself as. First off, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a slave to Jesus. Second, I'm called to be an apostle. A slave to Jesus, and then I, out of that, I have been called to be an apostle. Or one who is sent out, a messenger. So, first and foremost, it's all about Jesus. And then there's a calling out of what Jesus has, has, has done for me. And he is going out. Um, <clears throat> and then it goes on, it says, set apart for the gospel of God. And once again, my life is completely different now that Jesus is my Lord, that Jesus is my, my everything. It sets me apart. It is interesting how it's worded here. A lot of times we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I had to take a pause there when I was studying, and I was like, why, why does it say gospel of God? And I, I, I believe that uh, there's a couple of things here that we can draw from that. And it does, it does go into more detail and, and, and breaks, Paul breaks us down. But the gospel of God, I, I, you know, the first and foremost thing that I look at is it's not a gospel of God. Did you notice that? It's the gospel of God. This is the good news. That's, I'm getting ahead of myself right there, but gospel does mean good news. So the good news literally translates to good news or good tidings. Um, we just had celebrated Christmas, right? We hear that a lot. Good tidings, good tidings, good tidings. It's a good message. It's a good report, if you will. Those are some, some things that can be interchanged with the, with the gospel. But the good news from God, of God, it is God. And so the source of this good news comes straight from the creator of the universe. Straight from the being that has always been and always will be. 
this good news is coming straight from him. He is the source. Once again, as I said earlier, you notice the, the gospel. It doesn't say a gospel. So this is the good news. And, and, and the gospel is very, very plain about it. That it is only through Jesus, and which we'll be talking about here shortly, through Jesus that we can have a relationship, that we can have life with God. It is the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the light. Whoever comes before me, or whoever comes to the Father, uh, must come through me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the, the way to get to God the, for the good news. As I was uh, studying in one of the commentaries, I, I, I looked at it, 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 there was a statement that really struck me. <clears throat> it says, to receive the gospel is to receive God himself. But to reject the gospel is to actually reject God. And that's, that's a very bold statement, but it's very true. And sometimes I don't think we realize the, the severity of, of how imperative it is for us to share the gospel, how, how important it is for us to share the gospel, how, how uh, life-changing the gospel, this good news that God gives us, is. But it is very serious. And so it is, it is uh, heavy, with our, heavy for myself. I, I look at it as there's a lot of responsibility, but at the same time, there's a lot of joy that I get to share. I get to share this with people. I get to uh, share how Jesus has changed my life. And, and sometimes I think, I think that we, we can, the responsibility is absolutely there, but the, the joy that we can get by sharing this is, is uh, more than we, than we can know. So Paul continues here about the gospel of God. And there's a, there's a couple observations that I want to make out of the things that he says here. So first and foremost, the gospel of God. And he goes on. And if you notice, this is all one run-on sentence. <laughs> so for you English people, that, uh, this probably drives, would drive you nuts. But this has been one big run-on sentence that Paul, Paul shares here. But um, set apart for the gospel, and then he goes into verse 2. It says, which he promised, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of times we think that Christianity is is a really new religion on the scene, and it isn't. It's a, it's a, from the very beginning of time, God had this plan, right? And it's a fulfillment of an older religion, Judaism. And part of this plan that God has for us is that from the get-go, it looks like the world's falling apart, which it is. At the same time, none of this, none of this surprises God. And from the very beginning of time, he had this plan to save you and to save myself. That's rather amazing if you think about that. 
that <clears throat> when we start wondering about, hmm, is God still there? Is he still doing things? From the get-go of time, he knew all this was going to transpire, and yet he had a plan to save you and myself and others around us. So first off, he has a plan. Second off, God keeps his promises, right? It says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and his holy scriptures. That's that's awesome. We can take God at his word that he used his prophets in the New Testament. In Ephesians, it says that, that he uses his apostles to give us these holy scriptures that God used them to write down his words for us. And so we, we can go back. There, there's, there's tons of scripture that birth, the life, the death, and even the resurrection of Jesus. And it shows that God, first off, loves us, but he also promises us things, and he keeps those promises. And that, that brings me joy. It brings me peace, peace of mind, if you will, for the fact that there are more promises that are, have not been fulfilled yet in this time, right? We know Jesus is coming back. We, we know that Jesus is coming back for us, that we're not, we're not just kind of left out here on this island stranded with all this sin and all this ugliness around us. And we know we have the Holy Spirit in us. If you've, if you've trusted in Jesus to comfort us and to help us, but we know that Jesus is coming back for us. We know that this promise is there and it will be just, as, just fulfilled just as his other promises were. And so there, there is that hope and that, that excitement for me, it should be for everybody here that knows Jesus, that Jesus is coming back for us, that he is, he is not gone. He's not off the scene. And then Paul goes into... Verse 1 was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Second, verse 3, it says, Concerning his son, who is descended from David, according to the flesh. And once again, these are all things that have to do with with the gospel of God. Concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh. We believe that God... Um, exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That God the Son has always, always been there on the scene. He's, he's always been there from beginning, no beginning, no end. He's always existed. He is, he is God. He is completely se- a completely separate person, yet completely one and equal member of the Godhead. 
Um, that's about as best explanation you're going to get out of me because uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap our human minds around that. But Jesus, being God, and here he goes, what happens? We just celebrated Christmas, right? We just celebrated the fact that Jesus became human, took on flesh, Jesus never ceased being fully God, fully 100% God, yet he takes on human form and becomes, becomes a baby, lives a perfect life as a human being, 100% human, had the same temptations that we have, probably stubbed his toe getting up in the morning once in a while, felt emotion, felt sadness, felt happiness, felt hunger. Those are all things that Jesus, taking on the flesh, experienced. And he lived a perfect, perfect life through it. That's amazing. First off, it's amazing that he would even want to do that, right? To clothe himself in humanness. To clothe himself, clothe himself in, our, in this, this, what we are, didn't have to, and he did it. He did it because of his love for us. But once again, there's a fulfillment of scripture right there, that he, from the line of David, part of the prophecy. He became the Messiah. And obviously to the Jewish nation, they were looking for a king. They got a king that was bigger than they could ever imagine. They were looking for a national king, a king that would rescue them from the Roman Empire um, to set up their own little kingdom here. And yet, the Messiah is king to all of us and has ultimately rescued us from our ultimate enemy, which is death. And that's amazing. That's amazing. And so as, as we look at this concerning his son, took on human flesh, he lived a perfect life. And then he dies. He dies. But that's, Paul doesn't even bring up the death, but he does bring up in verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he goes on into verse 5. Concerning his Son, Declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The power over so many things, but first and foremost over, over sin. Um, the empty tomb is where our power comes from. We can, we can celebrate Christmas, which is good. 
It's great. We can even go to the cross and we can think about how what Jesus did for us, those deeds he did for us, he, he went to the cross willingly. He, he took on my sin and my sin was given over on top of him and he, the penalty that he paid was my penalty. I should have been separated from the Father. And he did that willingly. And that is amazing. And it's just as much as the gospel of anything. But where's the power? The power comes from the fact that the tomb is empty. That he, he rose again. That he rose, them, he rose himself up again, right? That is amazing. Let's try not to get into too far into Romans, but I, I, have to, I have to bring this in. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. <clears throat> he was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. Where are we justified in all of this? After we put our trust in Jesus. It, 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 it is the power of the resurrection that justifies us. It is the power of, of the conquering over sin that we can actually have conquering over sin. That is ultimately where the power lies for us as Christians. If Jesus would have never rose again, we wouldn't have any of this. We would not be celebrating right now. We would, we would have a, a, another religion and another martyr marked in a tomb. But this is so different. We have life because Jesus has life. We will be raised again with him because he was raised again. That, that is the good news of the gospel. And that is really where the power lies. My, my encouragement to you this morning is, is uh, you know, once again, Christmas. I see a lot of people celebrating Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot of people that look at the little manger scene. Maybe you have one at home. I, I don't know if we had one at home or not. Uh, my mom has one. We always like to play around and switch the different characters. But, you know, there's a lot of people that will put the major scene in front, put baby Jesus there, and they leave baby Jesus there, though. They leave him there. They keep him there. And that's all they think of is, well, there's baby Jesus, isn't he so cute? Good tidings and, 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 and joy to the world. And they keep him there all year round. That's, that's how they look at him. Unfortunately, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that will do the same thing with the tomb. The cross is important. The cross is, is, is paramount for the, for the gospel. But if, if we keep Jesus there, there's a reason that the cross is empty. There's a reason that the tomb is empty, because that's where the power is. And so it would be my encouragement to you today to think... Man, it's, it's about an empty tomb. It's about the fact that we serve a risen Savior, that we, we have a risen, true God 
that we worship. And that is amazing. And nothing else in this world, in all the different religions, has that. It is the gospel. So Paul goes on. And there's, there's, a, there's kind of a little comma there. It says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, at the end of verse 4. And then it goes into, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. I, wanna, I just want to look at that, that first statement. Through him, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. We, we, we get something we don't deserve, grace. We get him. And out of getting him, we get, we get to have a calling as well. For Paul, it was an apostleship. For you, the list can go on and on. For me, the list can go on and on. But be sure to know that you do have a calling if you have put your trust in Jesus. But it's his calling, not necessarily my calling. Does that make sense? It's more about him. I think that's really where we have to think about this. Jesus, Jesus our Lord, Lord, once again, kind of, kind of echoing what Paul was talking about at the beginning, where I am a servant, I am a slave to Jesus. He is my Lord. Out of that is where the calling comes out of. If any time we mix that up, we're going to be in trouble. If, if I think that, man, being a pastor is more important than Jesus, I'm going to be screwed up. And I'm going to screw up a lot of other people with that. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is my Lord, my everything, and out of that... Out of that comes calling. Out of that comes what we do. And it's not even us doing it. It's really him working through us. The root of who we are is Jesus. Everything about us is Jesus. What happens on the out of that is the fruit, if you will, the fruit coming out from Jesus. The next, next big statement that Paul makes here. Through him we have received grace and apostleship, calling, if you will, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The, you know, this... A lot of times when you start saying obedience, people get a little bit gun-shy, right? And you notice how it says it. Obedience of faith. And a lot of times we, uh, we think faith and 
when we say obedience, we kind of think of keeping the law, keeping the rules, doing this, doing that, right? And so we think they're kind of contradictory. They don't, they don't, they shouldn't be compatible, right? But they are. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Um, you know, it's almost like a glove in hand, if you will. The fact that if I have faith, then I'm going to obey what Jesus has told me because I have faith in him. Uh, I think the NIV says it really well here. Um, the NIV says obedience that comes from faith, right? Saving faith is always going to lead us to obedience. Saving faith is always going to lead us to obedience. Obedience to, to Jesus, our Lord. If we have truly trusted what he has said, then we will obey him. It's very similar to a, a, a child that, you know, you train up and say, don't play in the street, right? Right? And even when that child doesn't see you, won't go in the street. It's for that child's well-being. And it, it is for our well-being as well. But the fact that the child has trusted the parent, and he may, may believe there's consequences as well, but he trusts the parent enough to know that he, won't go in the, he or she won't go in the street. It's the same way with us. Do we trust the Lord? Do we take the Lord at face value? Do we take Jesus at face value? If we do, and if we have truly trusted him, then we will be obedient to him. There is no differentiating us. You know, it's almost like, a, uh, as ESV says, obedience of faith, it's almost like a block of wood, right? That wording makes sense? Is this block? It's wood, right? It's a block of wood. It's, it's not just a block by itself. And so obedience comes only by true faith. Even the gospel itself, right? Even the gospel itself, in some ways, is a commandment. You must believe in Jesus to be saved. You must repent to be saved, right? Those are commandments. And so part of our faith, the majority of our faith, is obedience. Is obedience. And it's not a blind humanistic obedience it is a obedience of love it's an obedience of my heart has been changed because of my faith partly because of what God has given me right it's all about what God has done in my own heart that enables me to trust him to put my faith in him for me to obey him and those are all gifts from God they really are. But if we try to get this switched up, what happens if I try to obey and, or slash do good works? Will that lead to God? No. It won't. 
it'll lead to a, a lot of frustration, a lot of legalism. Only true saving faith will lead you to God, which will lead you to obedience and works. Don't ever get that switched up. If we do, we're going to be in trouble. So we see here, obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. For the sake of his name. If you notice that in uh, verse, middle of verse 5. Obedience of his faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Name, name of Jesus is going to be glorified. To make much of his name. First and foremost, he deserves it, right? He absolutely deserves it. He is Lord. He is, he is the creator. He is everything. And he deserves to be glorified throughout all the nations to make much of his name. You know, a lot of times we, we become fans of different things, different, different uh, ball teams, right? And what happens? You become a fan. You almost become dogmatic. You, you know, you, you'll, you'll wear a Steelers jacket in the middle of Browns country. On. <laughs> but you know, why? You're, 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 you're trying to make much of that name, right? Because you're a fan. How much more should it be with us and Jesus? How much more should it be for us to make much of his name everywhere we go because of what he's done for us? On such a bigger level than just wearing a jacket. He deserves it. The other reason we should be glorifying his name is because there is only one name that saves. This one name is the answer to what ails us. This is the answer to all the junk and crud and crap that this world has. This is an eternal answer. His name brings light, brings life, life from death. Why wouldn't we want to go out and shout his name in the streets? It's actually a benefit for people to hear about him. Do we, do we have that? When we look around the street, do we have that when we go to Walmart? Do we have that when we say, man, their lives are messed up? 
that I want to share Jesus with them? I want to proclaim him? It says, among all the nations. You know, God loves every single person. He loves not because of what your ethnic is or your race or your, he, he, he loves you. And in a lot of the same way, we, we, need, we need his heart. A lot of this, as, as I was reading through this, I, I, I was reading this and it, it almost pairs up perfectly with, with, with Matthew 28, the great commission that Jesus left with us. And I'm just going to go ahead and read that. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, he was with the disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There's the power, right? Everything is mine. Here, here's the commandment. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's, there's an awesome promise. As I was reading Romans, if this does not compel us to, to obey what Jesus is telling us here, I don't know what will. Are we compelled to glorify his name above all, all the nations, wherever we may go? John Piper um, has a great quote. It says, God gets the glory and we get his help. Sometimes, sometimes we, uh, we think that we're all on our own doing this mission, right? But it's not. When we fall on our knees and fall before, before our face, before God, and we say we need his help, he's there. He's leading us. He's guiding us. Doesn't have to be on our own strength. And that's what's so awesome about this. As, as we try to be obedient to God, as we try to do what God is, is, is commanding us to do, guess who helps us? God. Holy Spirit. He is, he is continually leading us and guiding us so that we can glorify Jesus. Anthony, you're more welcome to come up. <clears throat> you know, God has a heart for all the nations. And then, then in verse, verse 7, it says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul finally gets to who he's writing to here. The church. To the beloved. To those that are called to be saints. This is who he's writing to. His church. God's church. His bride, his beloved. And I know, ultimately, this book is written to Romans, the Romans, the church in Rome. But as, as we are looking at this today, this is written to us as well. The church at Mercy Hill. To all those at Mercy Hill who are loved by God, called to be saints. 
Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I really want us to kind of frame that around our heads this morning as we begin this series. And once again, I, hopefully I did some justice to this passage. But as, as, as the interns and myself will be preaching for the next year in Romans... This is, this is what Paul wants us to think about. That we have grace, unmerited favor. That we have peace that only comes from God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that is amazing. And um, I, I'm looking forward, looking forward to this series. I'm looking forward to being able to share more out of Romans. And so, with that, let me close. Father God, we just thank you so much. We thank you that you are um, just amazing. And always, always doing things through your Holy Spirit. Um, We do pray for us as a congregation here. I pray that you will teach us what it means to obey through faith. And to proclaim your name. To make much of your name. To glorify your name in every part of our lives and no matter where we go. Once again, I thank you and I praise you. In your name I pray, amen.